Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, June the 19th, 2023. It is currently 1026 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, let's begin this late evening broadcast by looking at two scriptures. So if you have a Bible available, if, you, if you're able to open a Bible, that would be great. If you can't, just, just sit back while maybe you're driving. Whatever you're doing, if you can't open a Bible, that's fine. Just listen carefully. But if you can, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. At 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I'm reading from the King James Version. It reads this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Let me read that again. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, it acknowledges that we walk in the flesh, but it tells us that we do not war after the flesh and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, immediately when you start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, now, if you're a brand new Christian, you may not have heard this term yet, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're very familiar with it. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, Christians everywhere, I don't care the denomination, I don't care the type of church, they talk about spiritual warfare. People constantly talk about it, but sometimes when people start talking about spiritual warfare, talking about engaging in spiritual warfare, sometimes you're like, wait a minute, is that spiritual warfare? Because it sounds very carnal, it sounds very fleshly. It's like you want to accomplish this through politics or this or this or this. So what you find out is though everyone... Everyone uses the phrase spiritual warfare. When people start talking about it, you will immediately realize, wait a minute, I don't think they mean the same thing that I mean when I say spiritual warfare. I don't think they understand spiritual warfare the way I understand it. And immediately you you will start seeing that there isn't really much agreement on exactly what it is. In fact, ask yourself, right, the next time you go to church. Ask your Sunday school teacher, hey, right before, if or if you are the Sunday school teacher, say, all right, before we do anything today, I've, I've given, there's a piece of paper underneath everyone's chair, there's a pencil, I want you to take the next 10 minutes and I want you to write out your definition of spiritual warfare, or just walk around your church with a, a little a clipboard and a notebook and say, hey, hey, Susan, how are you doing today? Hey, um, how do you define spiritual warfare? Hey, Robert, how do you define spiritual warfare? 
I'm just making up names. If those names reflect who you actually are or your name, I'm not intending you. Okay. Just, but do so and just look and just, and just see how much agreement there is. How specific is the definition? How vague is the definition? You may want to ask some follow up questions. Well, exactly how do we engage in spiritual warfare? And when do we cross the line from spiritual warfare into just, well, normal, everyday warfare that happens in a culture that's constantly fighting and yelling at one another? When, like, what does it look like? What is spiritual warfare? And I think you'll find either a lot of people know the term and they'll say lots of words. But when you really say, no, no, no. Okay, just stop using words. What does it mean? And you really try try to get them to define it. It will just become like this weird, vague yeah, we're in spiritual warfare and I pray and I read my Bible and that's spiritual war. Like it'll be, it's sometimes you're like, okay, so, uh, all right, thank you. And then you'll just like, you'll have to move on, but you really should do it for your own. Just, just so that you don't take my word for it. Now you may want to report back to me. Well, I asked 50 people and everyone gave the exact same definition with the exact same words. And they were very specific. And I don't know what the problem is because Everyone I know understands it and can define it and is very specific about it. Okay. Okay. You can report that. And then I will have to come visit so that I can see, oh, wow. Everyone here obviously has it figured out. But everyone, everyone I've ever been around, I, it's just to me, it's all over the place. But there are 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, you know the other passage, Ephesians chapter 6, right? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, whenever you start talking about Ephesians chapter six, once again, spiritual warfare, that word's going to be used. And then it'll be like, okay, you engage in spiritual warfare by putting on spiritual armor. And then you say, how do you put on the spiritual armor? Now, I've heard some people say you wake up in the morning and you picture each piece of the armor. And then you say, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet. Lord, I'm putting on the breastplate. And you, and you, it's just kind of like a, Almost a mental exercise. Others like, no, 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 no. You don't do it that way. You do it through, through, I, I don't know. I've heard all kinds of vague answers. Like it's a mental exercise. No, you just pray about it. Like, look, when do you know? Like, do you know if you, like, you had it on, but then you took it off? Like, do you put it on once? Do you put it on every day? Can you forget that you have it on in the middle? Can you, like, take it off in the middle of the street or or at work? And like, oh, and you get home and like, oh, man, I left the spiritual armor back at work. Like, what does it mean? Once again, everyone preaches great sermons about it, describing each piece of the armor. A lot of times they'll show a picture or an image of a Roman soldier and say, this is what it looks like. And everybody's like, ooh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I got the helmet. Ooh, I got the sword. And everybody thinks, like, everybody thinks it's so cool. But when you really get down to, okay, you just heard six weeks of sermons on the armor. What do you do? How do you put it on? How does it work? And once again, it gets all vague and it's all, and it's just, it's almost this mysterious thing that everyone talks about, but I just don't know how well defined it really is. Now you look, you can go search sermons, sermons 2.0 app. 
You know, just start searching spiritual warfare. See how many sermons there. I haven't looked. How many sermons are on the Sermons 2.0 app or the Sermon Audio website or the Beta Sermon Audio website, wherever you want to look. How many sermons are there just on spiritual, just, just search for spiritual warfare? I, I bet you it's in the thousands. I bet you it's in the thousands. Like, Probably well over, I, I'm guessing, I could be way wrong. I'm guessing over 10,000. It will probably be some some crazy number. And if you listen to them, there will be a lot of similar language. But here's how I've always felt. After listening to them, I'm always like, well, exactly what am I supposed to do? Exactly how am I supposed to do this? Exactly what is spiritual warfare? Now, I'm thinking all of this. I'm asking all of these questions because about a month ago, I purchased a book that we were going to use for a series this summer, but Jeremiah is really taking up all of our time. So maybe we'll use it. I don't know when. I, I got to figure out when to utilize it. Um, but when I purchased that book, Amazon did one of those things like, hey, you should also get this book because the people who read that book, they read this book or the people who bought that book bought this book. You really should do it. And if you get both of them, you can have both of them for the low, low price of $14.95. You know, something like that. If you've ever been on Amazon, you know what I'm talking about. So I look down at the book, you know, on the Amazon page and I'm like, well, okay, that looks cool. The cover looks cool. It's all black. And then... Right in the middle, there's like a circle, okay, that's kind of like gold color, and it's like these little lines c coming out, and then right in the middle is a snake, and I'm like, ooh, that looks cool. And the title of the book, Spiritual Warfare in the Storyline of Scripture, a Biblical, Theological, and Practical Approach. Right, that sounds interesting. Spiritual warfare and the storyline of scripture, a biblical, theological, and practical approach. And I'm like, oh, that I could do something with this, right? Now, I, I have no idea about the authors of this book. I don't know anything about them. I don't know. This could be the most messed up book in the history of humankind. It could be the most apostate book, or it could be the best. I have no clue. I've, I've never heard of the book. I just... Amazon was like, hey, we'll throw this in for a couple of dollars. And I'm like, I'll take it, right? So I've had it sitting here on my desk. I've had it sitting here on my desk and or my table. It's not really a desk. My table here that I broadcast from. And I, every time I look at it and I look at it and I look at it, and I'm like, I'm going to do something today. I'm going to do something up for a today's focus. And then something will happen. And then I'm doing this broadcast. Oh, I'm, oh well, no, I got to cover this. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, I got 15 emails about this. Or wait. And there's, you know, something's always, I mean, you know, I literally, I could sit up here 10 hours a day and broadcast literally all day. And I don't think we would ever scratch the surface of all the things to talk about. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not getting paid for doing this. So sometimes I go do other things, but I know I could uh, sit here all day. Um, it would be sometimes I've, 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 well, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to go that direction, but I, I do guess or try to think sometimes what it would be like just to broadcast for like eight hours one day. Like, I wonder like what the numbers would look like. I wonder what would I, I would really accomplish, but who knows? Maybe I'll try that sometimes, but here we go. So I, I keep seeing the book. Well, I think it was yesterday. 
Um, I knew that I really couldn't broadcast because it's that in between time uh, bet- between, you know, Sunday uh, afternoon, well, Sunday morning, you know, we get out of church about 12, 15, 12, 20 p.m. I come home, eat lunch, and then have to turn around and go back at about 520. You know, it's about a 20 minute drive to church or more. So, you know, I don't really have a lot of time on Sunday afternoons. Um, and so I'd been working on Jeremiah, working on Jeremiah, and I took a little break and I picked up the book again, Spiritual Warfare and the storyline of scripture, a biblical, theological, and practical approach. And I opened it up. And the first thing, well, the first thing is acknowledgments. Well, hang on. There's the forward, then there's acknowledgments, then there's the introduction. So I just started reading the introduction and I came to page two. I came to page two and I read these words. When we consider the reality of spiritual warfare, a concept that is variously defined and often debated. So immediately they acknowledge, hey, this concept of spiritual warfare, it's variously defined. In other words, there's not one set definition and it's often debated. And then they say, consider, for example, these definitions. So I'm going to read to you the definitions they gathered, and they got them from a number of different books. They gathered a number of definitions of spiritual warfare. I want you to consider these definitions carefully, but I really want you to work on your own. And I do want you to ask other people. I do want you to ask other people. And I just want you to, when you when you try to write out your own definition, I want you to really write out what it is and exactly what, what does it mean? How do you do it? How do you engage in it? But here are the definitions compiled, again, in the book, Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture, a Biblical, Theological, and Practical Approach. Here we go. Page two. Spiritual warfare is a theological term used to describe the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his angels. Now, just a question for you. When you think of spiritual warfare, do you think of it as a battle between the church and Satan and his angels? Or do you see it more in an individualistic perspective? Like you see, no, it's a, it's a battle between me and Satan and the angels. Or individual Christians, do you see it more institutional or do you see it more individual? I'm just going to be honest with you. I always see it more individual than institutional. That's, that's my, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's another one. Spiritual warfare is a multi-level conflict between good and evil initiated on the supernatural plane with the prehistoric rebellion of Lucifer and transferred onto the natural plane with the fall of man. Satan, man's adversary, continues to deceive and divert people from finding salvation in Jesus Christ and to harass and hinder Christians through enticement, to sin and exploitation of weaknesses. Now, 
This definition is long, but let's just read that first part again, because immediately this one caused me all kinds of problems. And I was like, whoa, we, we got issues here. Okay. So, all right, let, let's, or at least, well, you, you can see, you can see where, what you can tell me whether you agree or disagree. All right, here we go. Now, th- again, this one is a, this is a, a long paragraph. So I'm going to have, I'm going to have to break this up a little bit. And, and then I'm just going to read that first part again, and then we'll read the whole thing. Right, here we go. Spiritual warfare is a multi-level conflict between good and evil initiated on the supernatural plane with the prehistoric rebellion of Lucifer and transferred onto the natural plane with the fall of man. Satan, man's adversary, continues to deceive and divert people from finding salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that you can say Satan is trying to divert or hinder hinder people from finding salvation. I think this really comes down to your, your view of soteriology. Can Satan ultimately hinder someone from finding salvation? Because do we find salvation or does salvation find us? Now, if you're more reformed in your soteriology, like I am, God elects, God chooses, God saves. I may be blinded quote unquote, by Satan and my depravity, but God will save me when he, when I receive the effectual calling. Now, if you don't believe in an election, you don't believe in a reformed view of soteriology, then you would be like, yeah, man has free will, but what, what keeps men from exercising that free will to get saved is because Satan, then Satan, uh, uh, as they put it, Satan deceives and diverts people from finding salvation. So then is it like, well, God is trying to get them saved. Satan is trying to keep them from getting saved. And man is caught in the middle. Like, so then God can't get the person saved because Satan is like this one, this one, that view leads to me to all kinds of theological issues, right? So wait a minute. Satan is trying to keep the person saved. God's trying to get the person saved, but the man is supposed to make the final decision, but the man's already depraved. So if the man's already depraved and Satan is working to try to keep him from getting saved, you think there would be no hope. And if God has to respect the free will, then the man would never get saved. That's why I think the whole free will concept, libertarian free will concept falls apart. That's why I obviously hold to a much more of a reformed view of soteriology, that we're totally dead in our trespasses and sin. And God has chosen before the foundation of the world and at a specific time will will bring to us the effectual call, the general call we, we can't, we won't respond to, but the effectual call, God will then save us. All right. So let me read this all again. And there's a lot here that we could also discuss, but that, that just caught my attention. Spiritual warfare is a multi-level conflict between good and evil initiated on the supernatural plane with the prehistoric rebellion of Lucifer and transferred onto the natural plane with the fall of man. Satan, man's adversary, continues to deceive and divert people from finding salvation in Jesus Christ and to harass and hinder Christians through enticement to sin and exploitation of weaknesses. Because Satan is the author and initiator of original sin, and because he is the God of this world, spiritual warfare involves a constant multidimensional battle against the world, a system of ungodly values, the flesh inherent to our human humanity, and the devil supernatural personification of evil. 
Warfare implies the likelihood of losses, eternal separation from God for the non-believer, and diminished effectiveness and suffering for the believer. Man, that's a, that's a, a mouthful for that definition. That definition is long. They're trying to cover everything. I do like, the one thing I do like about this one is that they say that this spiritual warfare involves a constant multidimensional battle against the world, sin, okay, uh, inherent to our humanity, our sinful nature, and the devil. So we are fighting, so we are fighting the world, we're fighting the flesh, which is the sin and our, our sinful nature, and we're fighting the devil, but it, if you note this, the second definition makes it much more individualistic, where the first one made it much more institutional. It's the church fighting. The second one is like, no, you, you as an individual, you're engaged in this multi-dimensional fight against the world, against the flesh, which is your own sinful nature, and against the devil. Another definition. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing resistance that Satan launches against God by exerting his arrogant desire to be God. Now, this one is interesting because this definition, we're not, it doesn't even have us, it doesn't even mention us. This definition has spiritual warfare is the ongoing resistance that Satan launches against God by exerting his arrogant desire to be God. It's a fight between Satan and God, and it's continuing. It doesn't even mention us, which I thought was fascinating. The fourth one, the fourth one, spiritual warfare is a way of characterizing our common struggles as Christians. This one reduces spiritual warfare to just, hey, those are your common struggles. As a Christian, these are going to be your common struggles, and we call that spiritual warfare. It really minimizes it. It just says, hey, your, your common struggles, that's spiritual warfare. Now, I, I won't deny that our common struggles are a part of spiritual warfare because our common struggles are probably going to impact either something that we're, how we see the world. It's going to impact our own sinful nature. Uh, I, I mean, I, yeah, but, um, this one, again, makes it individualistic, not institutional. So then the book, after they gave those definitions, then the book proceeds to try to work out their own. And this is what it says. Recognizing that scholars and practitioners differ on these definitions, we have chosen to build on Gil Hooley's work. And Gil Hooley, Gil Hooley is spelled G-I-L-H-O-O-L-Y. Jill, or I'm sorry, I keep saying Jill. Gil Hooley, well, what a name. Gil Hooley's work. G-I-L-H-O-O-L-Y. Gil Hooley. Gil Hooley, what a name, what a name. All right, so they're borrowing from Gil Hooley's work for our definition. So here we go. Particularly noting that Gil Hooley, recognition that the church is the in, is in the enemy's sights and this battle is ongoing we define spiritual warfare as this so they're bar- borrowing from Gil Hooley Gil Hooley what is the name of his book um Gil Hooley wrote a book called 40 questions about angels demons and spiritual warfare it was published in 2018 John Gil Hooley 
G-I-L-H-O-O-L-Y. They're borrowing from that book. 40 questions about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. And if I'm saying his name incorrectly, I apologize. But Gil Hooley. All right, here we go. They're borrowing from that. And one of the reasons they, I guess, they borrowed from this is because he involves the church. So this is how they define it. All right. Um, I got to find the, the uh, here. Okay, here we go. Um, so for our definition, they note Gil Hooley's recognition that the church is in the enemy's sights and the battle is ongoing. We define spiritual warfare. Here's their definition. Here we go. As the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces, with the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel and a battle already won. They say this definition emphasizes three issues. First, the battle is primarily between the devil and the church. Since his appearance in the Garden of Eden, Satan has sought to attack God's people. Secondly, the battle is ongoing, through, uh, ongoing though it has already been won. Jesus already disarmed the powers, Colossians 2.15, but the enemy continues to fight back. He will do so until he is cast into the lake of fire. Third, daily victory comes not by some magical or mystical approach to warfare, but by daily following Christ. In the armor of God, we do all that God has called us to do. Obedience and the power of God is victory over the enemy. That's how they define it. Now, they say it's not something mystical. We just basically, they don't tell us how to put on the armor, but we get the armor on and then we just have victory. They say we have the armor, we're going to be obedient, which once again would seem to indicate if we can get the armor on, we should be able to be perfect. We should be perfect in our Christian life. I know that's an ongoing issue within the evangelical world, always basically promising that we have some supernatural power that we can be holy. We can be holy and perfect in practice when clearly we constantly fail. But they put it back on the church. They focus more as the church. Now, I know they're just saying that's God's people, but it's still are, they're looking at it more from a, I say institutional, more from a communal standpoint, where I look at it more from an individualistic standpoint. I like in, in, in a definition referring to an ongoing battle with the world system, the flesh, our own. I, I think our, I think the, the main, I think the front lines of spiritual warfare is against ourself. I think that's, that, we always want to look at it external. I think it's internal, of course, then the devil, but the devil's utilizing our sinful nature and the world system. Those are the definitions that they provided. In the book, they go on to say this. Um, they quote, they, they say a couple of things here, and then they quote J.I. Packer, expresses our conclusion about Satan better than we could. He should be taken seriously for malice and cunning make him fearsome, yet not so seriously as to provoke abject terror of him. For he is a beaten enemy. Satan is stronger than we are, but Christ has triumphed over Satan. And Christians will triumph over him too if they resist him with the resources that Christ supplies. And once again, it's the idea that, hey, you've got the resources, so you can just resist, you should be able to just resist Satan. Now, again, that, that, that leads to, that, how do you, do you, basically it turns to this. Do you see spiritual warfare as more something fought practically or positionally? 
the one who is in you is greater than, than the one who is in the world. All right, there's much more I could say. And then chapter, or part one is biblical and theological foundations. And then chapter one is spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. And I'm going to be just working on it here or there. I mean, I'm focusing on Jeremiah, but I, I definitely know, I, I definitely am going to be working on this book throughout, you know, for over the next, for the rest of this year, here or there, I'm going to definitely be, it, it may show up in different podcasts, but I wanted to at least just bring the subject to everyone tonight in kind of a short episode just to say, hey, what is your definition of spiritual warfare? I want you to define it. But I want you to also, exp- uh, here is what it is and then how it works, how it works, something practical. If you say, well, you got to put on the spiritual armor. How do you do that? And if putting on the spiritual armor guarantees victory, well, then if you don't have victory, is it because you took off the armor and why do you keep taking it off? Is spiritual warfare fought practically or is it positionally? Oh, so many questions. But I, you're going to be like, but I need answers. I know you do. That's why you're going to go look for them, right? That's why you're, that's why we're going to work on this. Uh, this will probably turn into a series at some point. I'm trying to avoid any series on it right now, but maybe at some point we will uh, because, um, oh, I hate to see that. I just got a notification of a child abduction emergency in effect uh, till tomorrow at 12 a.m. for Tuscola, Texas, which is about two miles from our church. Mm. I hate I hate seeing that stuff. I hate seeing this stuff. Uh, the the, the horrors of this world, right? The evils of this world, the, the way the world plays itself out. Uh, that's a depressing thing to see. All right, but Let's talk spiritual warfare. I'd love to get your thoughts on all of it. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. How do you define it? Exactly how does it work? Now, when you email me, just do so, at least do so understanding that not everyone agrees with you. And so I, I think every Christian who ever defines spiritual warfare or talks about it, they always think that they've got it figured out and they're right and everyone else is wrong. But this book right here just begins to admit, just show how different those definitions were. Everyone admits we're involved in some kind of conflict. No one seems to know exactly how to define it. And no one really gave any practical ex- ex- examples of how we engage in it. So I think it, I think this is a subject that requires a little bit of humility. It's my own personal take, but again, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening to a kind of an impromptu special late night episode of the Theology Central Podcast. I greatly appreciate your time, greatly appreciate your support, greatly appreci- I greatly appreciate your feedback and participation and all that we try to do here on this podcast. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. May God bless you as you meditate and think about spiritual warfare. God bless.